So Money episode 1529, Investing in Climate Solutions with Molly Wood, founder and chief storyteller at Molly Wood Media. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Talking about climate change, that engaging in mitigation of climate change and trying to reduce emissions and invest uh, in you know ESG funds, any kind of ESG funding, is woke. There's no meaning attached to that, right? It's just like, and so there has been this war on quote unquote woke investing. There have been laws in multiple states directing pension funds not to invest in categories that are labeled ESG. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm Farnoosh Tarabi. We're discussing the climate economy today and how capitalism, yes, capitalism can be a tool for driving solutions for a greener planet. Our guest is the one and only Molly Wood, a longtime business and technology journalist turned venture capitalist. She's the founder and chief storyteller at Molly Wood Media, which is an advisory firm for the climate economy. And she's host of Everybody in the Pool podcast and newsletter. Be sure to listen to Everybody in the Pool today where I'm making an appearance. Molly and I are doing a little bit of a podcast swap today. Molly is a veteran of national media. She worked at Marketplace on National Public Radio, The New York Times, and CNET. And she's a podcasting Hall of Famer. In January 2022, she became a managing director at Launch, scouting and investing in early stage startups with a focus on climate solutions. Today, she brings her behind the scenes insights into the moving parts as well as the hurdles for bringing climate solutions to the forefront the innovations she's excited to see, and why she's ultimately optimistic about the direction of climate action. And what can we all do, our individual contributions to supporting the planet? Here's Molly Wood. Molly Wood, welcome to So Money. It's really finally to have you on the show. How have we not crossed paths until recently? I honestly I don't, don't know. It is so bizarre given our like CNET crossover and just the business and economics focus. Yes. Like I'm surprised that it took someone completely outside of either like the media ecosystem yes. to introduce us, but I'm thrilled. Mo, to if you're, if you're listening, Mo, he's our mutual friend and uh, a super connector. A super yep. con- Molly's making the, the heart, emo- the heart, heart, sound, yeah. heart sign with your, heart with you your boo. hands. Heart you boo. <laughs> <laughs> I want to get into so much with you, Molly. I want to talk about Mollywood Media, which is your media empire, your um, storytelling around climate solutions, includes a newsletter, podcasts, startup advising, consulting. You have a new podcast. Maybe we could start, though, with just your foray. As I was on your podcast, we did a swap. So everybody go listen to Molly's new podcast. Everybody in the pool uh, is the name of the show. But you um, asked me how I kind of got my start, our start, the origin story. How did you get interested in business reporting of all things? I know it was a real accident and a winding road <laughs> to the the kind of it was a slow burn realization that I had been a business reporter for as long as I had in some ways. So I um, started out as like a very generalist reporter, 
like I was doing sports reporting for the Associated Press in Nebraska, that kind of really, you know, old school journalism. And I happened to move to the Bay Area in 1999. And wow. We're near the Bay Area in 1999. You ended up in tech, even if you were like a sports reporter from the AP. And so I ended up um, writing for a magazine that covered the Apple, uh, the company, Mac, you know, Apple as an industry unto itself, uh, went to CNET where I was for 13 years and then to the New York Times and then Marketplace on NPR. And it was some time in that transition kind of realizing that all of, of covering tech from 1999 on, you know, we were podcasting about it in 2005. Like it was sort of a building... I think what turned me into a, an actual business journalist was realizing watching all of those business models change because they were so brand new at the time. I was like, oh, we sell computer components. Oh, no, we sell iPhones where everything is totally locked up and you'll never be able to get inside. We sell internet service. We sell cable and internet, right? It was this sort of evolution of those business models, but also building the digital economy in some ways mm -hmm. as I was writing about it. And then, of course, Marketplace is like a business and economic show. So that was Love when Marketplace. I really put a ring on that business reporter thing. Well, they were so lucky to work with you. I and CNET as well. You've worked at, at a lot of major, major brands in this space of tech reporting, business reporting, economics reporting, and now the transition to working independently. How has that been? Like when you think about all of these experiences that you've had and what you actually want to take with you and what you want to do differently. What has that been like for you, that exploration? Yeah, it's really interesting. So after this long career in journalism, I I did sort of a pivot into venture capital and became mm. an investor, which was a whole next level of business conversation and business understanding and kind of falling in love with founders and realizing what bananas characters entrepreneurs really are. Um, and then just really had the opportunity to put all of these parts together, the interest in climate solutions, the career in journalism and storytelling really is, is almost like the reframe, right? It's not just journalism, it's translation. It's this idea, it's what you do on your show, which is take something that seems really complicated and make it so that anyone can understand it. Um, and then this, this kind of capitalist lens and founder ethos, which I realize I sort of always had at these companies that I worked at. I was always an intrapreneur, like let's invent a show or let's, you know, do three new podcasts. And so I'm the kind of employee who drives bosses crazy. And I think that that has sort of informed this new approach, this sort of independent, not sort of this completely independent path that I'm now forging that I wouldn't be able to have the confidence to do if it weren't for all of those experiences. Right now mm -hmm. I'm in a position to be able to say, you know what? I know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. I know what you makes do. a good story. You know, I know what a podcast should sound like. I know what radio sounds like. I know how to write a script. Like I got this. I'm going to take this opportunity to tell the stories that I want to tell and PS own the things that I create. Not yes. Ownership. Mm -hmm. Why haven't we already learned from Oprah? I like, don't I don't know. <laughs> Because that's what she learned from the men who yeah. were in her industry. She, she, there was actually a specific person who said to her when she was starting Oprah Winfrey show that like, you actually need to own this. Like this isn't, and then of course her business became called own, but you know, but yeah, I think, um, 
you know what? You're here and you've figured it out and that's all that matters. Your passion now is climate survival, which I heard you say on another podcast. It's like covering vegetables. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you remember you said that? You said- I do. Climate. Yes. Unfortunately, so, that is how many editors see this topic. Yeah. The vegetable and s- category. Why do you think it's such a slow burn? Why do you think it's such a slow adoption of- of saying, hey, you know, we should, this is like, it's almost like personal finance. They always bury it. And only till recently, like lifestyle magazines and the mainstream news has been like, no, this is important. We're going to talk about inflation on the front cover of our news. But climate change, I feel like it's always like a special report, right? not actually a mainstay. And it's a special With- report right around Earth Day. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and I think it's, I think it's, one of those topics that feels too big to tackle. Like one of the ways that I came to this was in just this very, like I'm from the Northern Plains, right? I grew up in Montana and North Dakota. I am a like black coffee and hard work, (laughs) multi-generational black coffee and hard work person. And so I just had this moment where I was like, okay, cool. Yeah. It's a really big problem. Who's, who's working on it? What are the fixes? Like, what are the solutions to this? Because there must be solutions. And uh, it turns out that if you want to solve a big problem, you break it down into component parts and then you tackle the parts, right? Like, that's just how you deal with major issues. And frankly, so it was this combination of being like fed up with the way that we approach it, but also the realization that this is the biggest business story in the world, much like personal finance and all of finance affects everyone. Climate is a systemic financial risk. It's the kind of thing that destroys people's homes and health, as you've reported on. It is an investment opportunity. And when you really want there to be lasting change, you need this combination of activism and awareness and economics. Everything is economics. But I think we want climate to be a social conversation. When in fact, first of all, it's a science conversation, but science is also vegetables to editors. Um, But if you want to make it sexy, frankly, attach a crap ton of money to it. And that Mm -hmm. is not hard to do. I want to get next to the capitalism behind this and how, you know, we always talk about capitalism in the context of like, oh, capitalism, those cronies, but that this could actually be how our way through this and to, to survive. But you say, you know, this is the biggest business story. It's also still, unfortunately, a political story. And I wonder, I would love to get your thoughts on how that is muddying the coverage. Or I was learning from you that even some of the financial institutions that are new or the fintech solutions are getting trampled because of politics, because of lobbying, because of threats. This is all happening behind the scenes. A lot of people don't know what's going on. So please tell us what's going on. Yeah, there is somewhat recently, um, and to such an extent that it almost feels coordinated, there has been a a strong, there's been, first of all, a strong resurgence of climate denial, specifically on the right. Like, I don't even want to make this a political issue. It's just a simple fact that when you look at who is engaging in climate denial at this point, it is coming from the right um, as almost a plank. Right. You have uh, Ron DeSantis, who recently announced his run for presidency, running in part on a platform of saying that talking about climate change, that engaging in mitigation of climate change and trying to reduce emissions and invest 
uh, in, you know, ESG funds, any kind of ESG funding is woke. There's no meaning attached to that, right? It's just like, and so there has been this war on quote unquote woke investing. There have been laws in multiple states directing pension funds not to invest in categories that are labeled ESG to such an extent that actually some of those pension funds have turned around and sued in response because they've said, you're preventing us from doing our fiduciary duty to our pension holders. These are actually better investments than, say, fossil fuel stocks, which historically, just, you know, notwithstanding the war in Ukraine, which has given everything a bump in the energy uh, kind of field, notwithstanding that temporary bump, this is a declining asset class, full stop. Like the returns, this is just math. And so you've had some of these pension funds fighting back, but you've also had banks cave to this pressure. Vanguard exited a net zero bank alliance saying we need to be politically neutral. And to me, that suggests, I will say, that the the strength of this kind of campaign, which really just appeared out of nowhere in kind of the last year, um, frankly suggests to me that like it's working on the other side. <laughs> That the money is really starting to move in the direction of mitigating climate change and that you have, you know, financial institutions all over the world and regulators saying, yeah, no, this is a systemic risk. The end. There's no there's no debate about this. Just to take it even a step backwards, how a Ron DeSantis even, DeSantis even gets to that kind of a claim, mm-hmm. you have to think about what's fueling his campaign. What are, where is follow that money? Right. So this is all is still at the core. This is a money story. This is a financial, the biggest financial story that goes uncovered. Enter your podcast. Everybody in the pool, tell us about what you're excited about covering that no one else is really talking about, but is so, so important. This isn't hyperbole when we say that to understand this, to be a part of this conversation, to make any small moves or big moves as a consumer, as a as a financially minded person, you are not just saving your life, but other lives. Right. A hundred percent. And you're maintaining a quality of life for yourself and the people around you. And frankly, mm-hmm. you know, somebody sent me a cartoon recently and it was a comic that showed, you know, a, a person on stage at a climate conference and on stage were these bullet points that were, you know, like cleaner air, safer water, like better breathing, um, quiet, yes. you know, highways. Like, like <laughs> and if you care somebody, about health, yeah, if you care about right. healthcare costs, you should care about You should really care impact. about this. And then there's someone in the audience going, what if it's all a giant hoax and we create a way better world for nothing? Like, oh my gosh. Right? On the it's one a- hand, there's no <laughs> downside to um, having cars on the road that don't pollute. There's no downside to creating hydrogen-fueled airplanes that are silent in the skies that don't send animals like running for shelter when they fly over or that that don't pollute neighborhoods with either sound or exhaust that actually emit water. Like mm-hmm. that's actually awesome. That's great. I would yeah. love to live in that world. And so there's no downside to doing it, even if you're not, <laughs> even if you're not fully on board with like, oh, we're going to go extinct. Because the thing is, we're not, right? Like everybody wants there to be no, there's just like, we're doing our status quo or we're all about to die. And the truth is that what we experience is a long, miserable transition. Mm-hmm. And it, we are already starting to see, I mean, in in the global South, they're experiencing it with mega typhoons. We just had a mega typhoon. 
That's already happening. In India, roads melt. The UK last year had temperatures well over 100 degrees. In London, that does not happen, right? Their their Mm -hmm. runways of the airport were buckling. So, and in the Bay Area, we, you know, I'm in the San Francisco Bay Area. We had the kind of winter where people were without power for a week, where trees were falling on houses constantly, where you couldn't, those are all that's just the new normal and it will only continue to get worse. And so there's this kind of double imperative. One is stop warming the planet so that these Mm -hmm. effects don't get worse and they will kill a lot of people. But before that, they'll cause a lot of people to have to move. They'll cause massive migration. It'll cause damage that we cannot afford. It'll cause Mm -hmm. huge disruptions to society, food shortages, energy shortages, insane energy costs. That's the stuff that's sort of those are all the problems. Now, everybody in the pool is not about any of that because like all we ever talk about are the problems and then we get super overwhelmed. So everybody in the pool is two things. It's a framework for how to solve problems together. <laughs> and also it is a show that focuses on the, the solutions that are like practical, adoptable, real, and business oriented. It's basically marketplace, but for the climate right. economy. Can I confess something to you? Last year I came home and there was a sign in my front yard that my husband had put because someone had like come to our house and canvassed and it was a sign that said climate action now. And I was like, we can't put that in our front yard because we have a house without solar panels. We drive an SUV. Like right. we're, in a con- <laughs> we're in complete contradiction to this sign. And I think that if I'm getting really honest about it, like I want all these things. I want to be that person that is so climate virtuous. Uh, and I feel like it has to be all or nothing. And like, until I'm, I am like essentially doing all of the quote unquote right things that I can't claim to be caring about the environment and I can't make statements and I can't even encourage others to either because I'm not modeling it perfectly. And so do you run into that, that I guess it's like a psychological thing, right? That I feel as though I'm not really being as true to the mission as I should be. And I don't know. I guess I'm, I'm sometimes I'm lazy about it. Mm-hmm. I'm just human. I'm like just being like honest normal, with you right now. I know. I'm like, you yeah. mean you're like a normal human in a, yeah. in the world. Yeah, totally. I think that there is so much paralysis in that and it's self-induced and it's also society induced and it's based in this storyline, this thing that I call problem porn, the idea that it's so big that unless you change every single thing, Mm-hmm. nothing will possibly work when we know that if every person just did one thing we would yeah. have a massive impact and so like the ho- the hope with this show is to say here's a buffet here's a buffet of possibilities and that can be you know you install a browser extension on amazon that gives you a more sustainable version of what you're already going to buy and then you get that instead that could be solar panels mm-hmm. that could be mm-hmm. One of your cars can be an EV, mm-hmm, like the mm-hmm. one that you just use for day to day, you know, or you could take a bike more often, or you could right. eat a little less meat. Or when you think you're going to, right? Like it's all this. I just, I say all the time on the show, like a drop becomes a flood. And it's the collective action. People are always like, there's, I can't do anything as an individual because it's a collective problem. Well, what do you think a collective is made of? Right. And then, right. and then, and, and, your in our day-to-day actions, I am not doing all of the things. I am not mm-hmm. doing all of the things. 
I'm going to just confess that because nobody, no one person can. You can't. And frankly, you shouldn't have to. And we should actually, what I hope, I have this sort of 80-20 theory about it. You know, there's the 80-20 rule, which is like 20, 80% of the inputs drive 20% of the outputs. If 20% of people adopt some solution, then it will become the norm. And then when you go to the store or you go car shopping or you buy a house, you won't have to choose. That'll just be what's there. I'm curious in your reporting, Molly, have you found that there are these these functions, these these things that we are told to do for bettering the environment that actually are counter-effective? Like my best friend actually thinks recycling is, she doesn't believe in it. Yeah. I know. <laughs> and like when she said that to me, I was like, I don't know if we can be friends anymore, but <laughs> she's like an educated journalist who has done her research on it. And she's like, no, I feel as though it's counterproductive. You know, it's it's all going into a big giant pile of waste. I mean, let's be honest. And so I then I have friends on the other spectrum that are like, if they come to my house and, you know, where's the recycling bin? If I don't have, you know, a different recycling bin for the X, Y, and Z, like I'm a bad person. And so that's one example of like where the verdict may be still out for some consumers on like whether or not that's actually helpful. But do you think that there are some things that we've been sold on that uh, might actually not be the best way to make an impact? If you're going to pick your one thing, should it be mm-hmm. recycling? You should recycle and recycling is real. And recycling is like a is a commodities market like anything else. It's a really interesting business story, actually, mm-hmm, recycling. Mm-hmm. But there was just some, there was like this week as we are recording uh, in the first week of June, a whole study came out that said like, yes, curbside recycling really does matter. And it matters to varying degrees based on the price of aluminum, the price of gas, the price of some of the materials in the recycled right. um, items. But overall, yes, Like it really matters. And if you have curbside recycling and your city wants to get rid of it, please tell them not to. And, you know, it it is in fact impactful. Is it the only thing you should do? Ideally, you might want to layer some stuff on top of that. Maybe what you do actually is like when you're going to go buy a new fleece, you look for one that's made with recycled plastic because then Mm -hmm. you help that commodity price stay high. You show, Mm -hmm. you prove a market. But those things are getting easier to do too. You know, those products are becoming more available. You can choose a little less meat sometimes. You can turn your thermostat down. And there are sort of like easy ways that consumers are being rewarded. You know, if you have a Nest thermostat, for example, you can opt into a program where it'll sort of automatically adjust your temperature based Mm -hmm. on peak energy usage, and then you get rewards. Are there things we're doing that are counterproductive? Yes, always. You know, I mean, greenwashing is real and it works. I interviewed somebody recently who said that if you just put something in a brown package, then people will buy it thinking it's more sustainable. That sucks. That should stop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's not ideal that we are transitioning people to electric vehicles that are also huge, like mm-hmm. seven-seater SUVs. That's a ton of raw material to make. Because mm-hmm. they have huge batteries in them, they're way heavier and more dangerous than other vehicles on the road, and they don't need to be that big. That's mm-hmm. like, you know, that's and and we're focused on electric vehicles to the exclusion of e-bikes, which are actually a great solution for a phenomenal number of people mm-hmm. and safe, energy efficient public transportation. Um, and also 
there's like no solution that I'm kicking out of bed for eating crackers right now because we need them all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You have a unique perch where like point of view, where you're at the forefront of a lot of um, invention and innovation in this space. As you're now wearing your venture capitalist hat, you get to see a lot of the new ideas for using capitalism to drive home solutions. What do you see as uh, the next wave of solutions? And where do you think there's opportunity still to innovate? I am, uh, I will just tell you, I'm obsessed with mushrooms <laughs> as a pretty wild climate solution. It turns out that you can use, so this is just like a category that I think is really interesting, but it fits within this larger concept, which is the people call waste to value. There's a lot of stuff that we throw away that it turns out can be transformed into something else. So that's, you know, it's, it's recycling, but it's mm -hmm. recycling kind of taken up a notch. And it turns out that mushrooms in, in use in something called a bioreactor have this magical ability to transform a lot of stuff into other stuff. They can break down toxic waste. They can eat the, like I talked to a company that takes construction waste. They use basically a fungus reaction, mushrooms, to break down and consume the toxins in those materials and then create new building materials that are less toxic and are fully reused. People are using um, mushrooms to make leather. Mycelium is the like kind of, is the sort of like white web that mushrooms use to communicate. Mushrooms, by the way, freaking fascinating. Don't like them as a food at all, but as a as a transformational tool. And maybe they weren't meant network, to be food. <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. Sounds maybe like they were meant to be out. a widget. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So people are making fabric out of mycelium, mushroom leather. Um, I, there's one company I know of that's using food waste and using a uh, mushroom process to turn it into like a gluten-free, super healthy flour hmm. for a, wow. a, a baking alternative. So I just think that things like that are fascinating. And I just find the mushroom thing really interesting. And that grows We're, naturally too. So you're not, you're not inventing something for the purposes of inventing something else, you know? Right. Exactly. Like using, so I love everything about that waste, using waste that already exists, using a completely renewable resource, mushrooms, to turn mm -hmm. that into something that is equally good or better in a lot of cases is that I think is the great unlock. When we can figure out how to do that in most categories, mm -hmm. we will have made some really massive change. And then also we just got to put renewable energy everywhere. Like it's, you know, in some ways we have the magic bullet. It's solar. It's in the sky. I think I ask everybody this when I'm talking about climate change, those who are in it and experts and have uh, a unique perspective is that, are you optimistic? Because I'll tell you, you know, listening to like NPR in the morning and my morning drives and, and you know, if there's like a climate summit, there's inevitably somebody who they interview that's like the world is ending <laughs> and um, that is a fact. And, the, you know, the train is left. It, we, whatever we do at this point in, in, the, in the name of protecting the environment, it's too little, too late. And I'm just like, should I just run my car into a brick wall now? Like, I don't, you know, so... And, and please like be honest, because I think that I, what I don't expect you to say either is like, no, it's all going to be fine, you know, because it's mm -hmm. like, I think you've already expressed that to an extent, like it's going to be a hard middle until yep. we get to the other side. But when you look at, when you like, look at your crystal ball and how long is it going to take? Is it 50 years? Is it a century until we get to that point where we have made a lot of stride? We have shielded ourselves from the heat. 
Yeah. <laughs> Possibly literally shielded ourselves from the heat. Yeah. I, um, I hate those stories. Those are exact, again, that's the opposite of what I ever want to do on the podcast is just say, here's why we're doomed, you know, and, and, or here's this huge insurmountable problem. I will always, I'm a, again, very pragmatic person. And I always want to be honest with people and say, we're going to go through some stuff. There is some stuff that is going to be possibly pretty bad that is really baked in. But if there is a thing that humans are good at, it's survival. We're phenomenal mm-hmm. about at that. We have innovated our way out of every, you know, extinction level threat we've ever encountered, whether it was fire, agriculture, the industrial revolution, and now reversing the damage of the industrial revolution. I am lucky enough to talk to founders and entrepreneurs and inventors every day who are unbelievable. It's actually the most hopeful job in the world, the stuff that people are imagining and building and actually making a reality. And, you know, we talk about how, like, let's just take one example, which is nuclear fusion. So nuclear fission is the energy that we're familiar with now, right? When we think about nuclear energy and bombs. Um, one, more nuclear energy does have to be part of the clean energy mix, but there's also this concept of fusion energy, which is the, what, that's what the sun does. The sun is a giant fusion reactor and people have been working for decades, decades to try to figure out fusion. And all of a sudden we're getting closer, like pretty legitimately close. Like there's at least one company that's building a power plant stage pilot or sized pilot. So they're they're building a mini power plant to test this fusion energy, which is effectively unlimited energy. And it doesn't it produces radioactive waste. I don't even know if it's radioactive, but it it produces waste uh toxic waste that lasts 10 years instead of forever. And you could imagine a scenario where instead of growing up in a like sci-fi dystopia nightmare, our kids actually grow up in an energy utopia. Imagine what problem you could solve with effectively unlimited energy. Like you want to desalinate huge chunks of the ocean to make drinkable water in places where it doesn't rain anymore, but you have unlimited energy, no problem. Like energy is the barrier to preventing us from doing that. And so I am tremendously hopeful that we, you know, and then you take like quantum computing, which is like, oh, okay. So quantum computing can just figure out how to invent new materials, new processes, new kinds of photosynthesis. Like I know this VC firm that talks about literally new processes of photosynthesis. These are the conversations and the real inventions that are happening. So I'm super hopeful. I am yeah. super optimistic. And I'm also very realistic about like, we're going to, it's going to, it could be pretty tough in some places. Yeah. No question. Are capitalists eager to invest in these ideas? Yes, and also fickle. Capitalism is a fickle beast, but we have seen a huge boom in private investment in venture capital and also private equity coming into the climate space in the last three to five years. I don't see that slowing down primarily because, again, you know, in in VC, we talk about TAM or total addressable market. This is a <laughs> This is a total addressable market of the entire planet. Like it's a big, big opportunity. And I do think, you know, I keep talking about the climate economy and I think that's what we're in now. Well, will you come back 
when you have done even more of an explore, like your podcast is now we are taping in the beginning of June. You're at the beginning of this. I posted um, three episodes as of today. <laughs> yes. And you can go and listen to me talk to Molly about my reporting on, you know, the cost of climate change and all that I've learned in terms of like the decisions that we make, not just at the grocery store, but where we bank, how we invest, how we life plan through the lens of what is going to be the climate impact, not just only on my life, but the community that I live in. So thank you for the work that you're doing, Molly. And and, and I, I want to send everybody over to you. Tell us where the show exists and all these, I actually just signed up for your newsletter too. I'm excited for that. Tell us about Thank all the things. You. Yeah. The newsletter goes with the podcast. Mollywood.co right now is where you can find it all. By the time I come back, I will have some content at everybody in the pool.com. <laughs> I have the domain. <laughs> I'm getting closer. This nice. is startup life, but yes, mollywood.co is the home uh, for everything that I'm doing. And thanks for listening. Thank you, Molly. Thanks for news. Thanks to Molly Wood for joining us today. Check out mollywood.co. I'll put that link in our show notes to sign up for her newsletter and be sure to subscribe to Everybody in the Pool, Molly's fantastic podcast about climate solutions and the people who are building them. See you back here on Friday for Ask Farnoosh. I hope your day is so money. Money.